Today's reading is John chapter 1, 1 through 18. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, uh, please pray with me. Jesus Christ, you are the word made flesh. You have revealed to us what we had never known. Reveal yourself to us now during this time. Open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to receive you. Change us, God. Help us to grow into the people that you are calling us to become. In your name we pray. Amen. The Gospel of John has been called a stream in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. It is both accessible and incredibly, incredibly deep and something you can explore for a lifetime and never reach the bottom of it. It's for first time readers and for serious theologians alike. And so if you're here today and you've been a Christian for your entire life, this book and this passage the beginning of the Gospel of John is for you. And if you're somebody who doesn't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're just visiting, it's a new year, and so you just want to check out something new, you want to see what, what happens on a, on a Zoom church call for a, for a small church in Sacramento, you've never read the Bible before, this passage and this book, this Gospel of John, is for you too. It's a stream in which a child can wave and an elephant can swim. And so today, we're going to do a little bit of wading. We're going to do a little swimming, a little diving, 
uh, and to help us make sure that we don't get swept away in this current because there is a lot going on in these 18 verses. We're gonna use three questions to help guide us through this passage, three questions. Uh, the questions are, who is Jesus? The second question is, how do I receive him? And the third question is, what does that do to me? When we look at this passage and we ask those questions, who is Jesus? What does it mean to receive him? How do I receive him? And then thirdly, what does that do to me? So first, who is Jesus? You know, there's not a lot of people out there who would disagree that Jesus was somebody who existed maybe 2,000 years ago. Most folks would agree that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi born during the Roman occupation of Palestine when King Herod the Great ruled Judea, who was eventually killed on a cross for his outspoken teachings. There is a lot of historic evidence that this person existed, there's a lot of writings and cultural things pointing to a Jesus existing at that time. But where things get really interesting is where this writer puts down in words that Jesus was the word who became flesh. The word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And this word became flesh. The opening to the Gospel of John is telling us that God became a human being. And this is where things get interesting. This is where disagreement comes. This is where there's conflict and tension. Because we're dealing with two things that do not fit together in our minds. It's like trying to put together two similarly charged magnets. You know, they just kind of, like, they, they don't want to connect. We've got God and humanity. We've got the word, we've got flesh, we've got these universal ideas, we've got a particular person, and they don't fit together in our minds. But here the Gospel of John is telling us that they did come together in this person of Jesus, who he calls the word become flesh. It's telling us that God became a human being. And so let's look into that a little bit. What does that mean, the word became flesh? Now, I don't think most people will ever really become a Greek scholar, and that's okay because Greek scholars aren't always my favorite people. But there are a couple of Greek words that are helpful for everybody to know if you want to understand what's going on here in Scripture. And one of those words is logos. In this chapter, John is saying the logos became sarks. The word became flesh. And logos is this incredibly loaded term. In Greek philosophy, logos was the word used to describe the unifying principle of all things. It's where we get our word logic from. It's the logic behind the universe. It's the ultimate reason. It's the ultimate wisdom of how the world functions. In, in the Hebrew Bible, God created the world by speaking logos, by speaking words, by saying, let there be light. God spoke the universe into existence by his logos. And even scripture itself, the word of God is considered the logos, the word of God. Logos is dealing with these eternal, universal, way up here kind of things, ideas, spirit, big, massive. And here John is saying that the universal became particular. The logos became sarks became flesh, meat, 
became physical, became a body. The Gospel of John is telling us that Jesus was born in the same messy and, and, and painful way that all of us have been born. He's telling us that the divine became dirty, <laughs> that, that God himself became limited and particular and physical. And this creates attention for all of us. Because you can't have this idea of, yeah, Jesus was this person, you know, who existed so long ago. He was a great teacher. And, and there's some good things that have been passed down through him. He, he was a wise teacher like, you know, any other religious leader. You, you can't hold that and this idea from John that Jesus is God in human flesh. Those two things are incompatible. And so when John puts this out there, he's, he's putting out something very divisive. He's, he's saying this is who Jesus is. Uh, and in order to accept Jesus, you need to be able to accept this sort of tension between Jesus' divinity and his humanity. There's this tension inherent within Jesus. There's Jesus' uh, wordiness and his fleshiness that are both contained within the person of Jesus Christ. And I like the way that um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King put it when he's talking about the incarnation of, of God becoming human. He writes that the doctrines of Christ's divinity and his humanity are both truths in need of the tension of the other in order to give the more inclusive truth. What he's saying is that these two truths create a tension that points to an even greater truth than what we knew before. He's saying that the truth is in the tension. And this truth that he's talking about, we read about in verse 12 in what we read today. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the truth of the gospel. That those who received Jesus as he really was, as the divine and as human, as the logos and the sarks, as the universal and the particular, that those who receive Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. And so that moves us to our next question. How do we receive him? What does that mean to receive Jesus as he really was? Well, by definition, receiving someone is a passive thing. It's not something that you do, but it's, it's an opening up to receive what somebody else is doing for you. So we receive Jesus not by working hard to achieve something. It is a passive reception of something that Jesus has done for us, towards us. And since it's a mystery that can't fully be understood. There's this, this tension, this paradox in Jesus, this idea of the word being flesh. It can only be received through faith. It's not something that you can logically work out and reach a definitive certainty, provable uh, position on. It's a mystery. It's, it's, it's infinitely beyond what we can understand. And so it can only be received through faith which is where a lot of the challenge lies. That's, that's, that's where it becomes really hard because we don't like receiving things by faith. We want certainty. We want proof. We want to know for sure that if we're going to believe something, that we're not going to look like a fool for believing it. Because we all know what that feels like, to put our faith in something and be let down. We know what that's like to put your faith in something and then be taken advantage of. 
and to be embarrassed. And so we're cautious, we're skeptical about what we receive. We're skeptical about what we believe. We want proof because we don't want to be made a fool of. But when it comes to Jesus, his divinity and his humanity, proof was, was never the kind that we longed for. You're, you're not going to have the kind of certainty that you want. I mean, even now folks want uh, even more certainty about getting the COVID vaccine. You know, this thing is, is proven to be 95% effective. And yet there's still a lot of folks who are like, eh, I'm not so sure about this thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little suspicious about getting this vaccine. Uh, even though there's, there's loads of evidence, loads of proof out there, there's still a lot of skepticism. There's still a lot of suspicion. I think there's something deeply human about us that, that's suspicious of these things. And so what do we do with Jesus? If, if there's this doubt, this skepticism about what does it mean to receive Jesus? Well, there's a way to explore faith that, uh, that C.S. Lewis writes about that I think is really helpful. Uh, in his book, Miracles, he writes this, this, uh, this passage here. He says that the credibility of the gospel will depend on the extent to which the doctrine of the incarnation, if accepted, can illuminate and integrate the whole mass of knowledge of the world itself. It is much less important that the doctrine itself should be fully comprehensible, because we believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun, in fact, we cannot, but because by it, we can see everything else. What he's saying is that we don't get full certainty of who Jesus is before we receive him. He's saying that once we receive him, we begin to see the world in a new way. We begin to see the world in a way that affirms that Jesus really is who he says he is. That affirms with certainty and with, with powerful conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. Because now the world makes so much more sense than it did before. You know, Jesus is not something that you can poke and prod to get 100% certainty about beforehand. He is the thing with which you poke and prod everything else in order to understand. We don't receive Jesus by seeing if he fits into our worldview. We receive Jesus by placing him as the foundation of our worldview and fitting everything else in with who he says he is. Receiving Jesus is a lot like a seed receiving water. Seeds have these really tough, protective outer shells that are really good at keeping the, the fleshy, soft part of the inside of the seed safe. These hard shells keep dangerous and bad things out, but they need to be able to let some water in if the seed is going to grow. If the seed is, it has a shell that's too tough, that's too rigid, that's too strong, that it doesn't let any water in, that seed will stay like that forever. And eventually that soft inner part will wither and, and, and die away. It will stay a seed forever. But if that seed allows some water in through the shell, then something else happens. Something amazing happens. The seed begins to grow. It begins to change and transform. It puts down roots. It starts to send up a shoot. 
it spreads out and it grows leaves. And eventually that husk of the shell that protected it gets dropped away. It becomes what it was meant to become because it allowed in the water that transformed it. You know, it's, it's very telling that Christians have a practice of baptism. Uh, it's, it's as if baptism is taking a seed, dunking it in water, and then letting it grow to become what it was meant to be. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the water. How do we receive him? We open up our shells to let the water in. And what does that do to us? That's our final question. What does that do to me? Well, it's the same thing that water does to a seed. It, it allows us to grow into the thing we are meant to become. When we receive Jesus as he really is, we become our true self that we are meant to become. We become, in a strange way, not, not more spiritual, but more human. <laughs> That's what Jesus shows us, what it means to be really human. Uh, Jesus is the most human human to ever human. He's, uh, he's the one who shows us what it really means to be the people God has created us to be. Uh, there's this idea in, in the Bible that comes from the very beginning that people are made in God's image, that we're, we're meant to reflect God. And yet, we haven't always done a great job of it <laughs> until Jesus comes along. And then we see in him this perfect reflection of the image of God. And, and, and that's what John is writing about. He says, you know, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's as if a bunch of seeds are looking up at a sequoia and saying, oh, <laughs> that's what we're supposed to become. That's what we're going to become. <laughs> that is amazing. When John and the disciples see Jesus, they see the image of God reflected perfectly. It's like they're saying, oh, that's what humanity is supposed to be. That's what we are meant to be. That's who Jesus is calling us to be. That's what it does to us. When we receive Jesus, we receive that living water that transforms us from hard and protective shelled seeds into new life, into, into new growth, into something that looks entirely different than what that little seed was. It's as if they're two different species almost. That's what Jesus calls us to become. That's what happens to you when you receive him. I, I really like the way um, Justo Gonzalez writes about this. He, he points out that when we become like Jesus, we become more loving. Instead of being for ourselves, we become for others. This, this is how he puts it. He says that as we read the story of Jesus in the Gospels, the first thing that strikes us is that he is entirely for others. At his birth, the angels announced to the shepherds that to you is born in the city of David a savior. The cross toward which the entire gospel narrative moves is not an accident, but it's the result of Jesus' active giving up of his own life. Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life for you that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. At the cross itself, Jesus is still the one for others. 
when he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even his return to the Father is for others. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. God is being for others. When we receive him, Jesus opens for us a way of love to free us so that we too can begin to be for others. Justo Gonzalez says that in being for others, we are most truly human. And in being most truly human, we are most godlike. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the word made flesh for others. He came as, as, as the king and lord of the universe to become a brother and a servant for us. How do we receive him? By opening up and allowing him in to transform and change us so that we can grow like a seed into the people that we are meant to be. Let's pray together. God, help us to open up our tough external skeptical shells and allow you in as the living water that turns us into the people we have always meant to be. Lord, you were for others. You showed us what that meant by constantly loving the people in your life, the rich, the poor, even those who were trying to hurt you, Lord, you loved them and you were for them. Transform us into that image, that image of God. Lord, help us to reflect who you have made us to be from the very beginning. Help us to be a community of people that is for others. And in doing so, that we can be our most truly human selves. And in being our most truly human selves, we can be more and more like you. In your name we pray. Amen.